Breaking news. By now, I am sure that all of you have heard about the AHRQ report that recently came out looking at diagnostic errors in emergency medicine. I'm sure that many of you have also seen the clickbaity type headlines in the New York Times, CNN, etc. And we just wanted to take a moment to address this a little bit. So Swami and Scott are going to dissect this little uh, AHRQ report. Right now, you're feeling very attacked. You've just come out of a pandemic. You've worked very hard, spent many years. And then this comes out and says, uh, you suck. Uh, you're no good. Uh, you could do better. Yeah, you know what? We could always do better. But just understand where this is coming from. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Trying to understand errors in medicine and how to get better is a good thing. But the way this is spun in the report itself and by the press is kind of ridiculous. So you've got a lot of energy right now, and I think the thing is we need to spin this in the positive. You're right, this is a very important report, and here's all the problems with it. But now let me tell you what's actually going on in the real world, and the disaster that is emergency medicine, at least here in the United States, because of a total misunderstanding of what you're asking us to do with the resources we've been given. It is a joke. I will say that our professional organizations, AEM, SAEM, EMRA, ASAP, AAEM, CORD, all of these different organizations have done a really nice job of putting out a statement jointly together, looking at this particular report and taking it apart. And a lot of the methodologic flaws that are in this report, you can kind of go over to that link and check out. We will drop that in the show notes. There's also a great post by Jeremy Faust on Inside Medicine looking at a lot of the nuances in here that really were not done well from a methodologic standpoint. We'll drop a link to that as well. And hopefully we'll have Jeremy in the spring to talk a little bit more about those methodologic flaws if people are interested in hearing a more in-depth conversation. But I think there's some other areas here that are important for us to get into. The report, which is entitled Diagnostic Errors in the Emergency Department, a Systematic Review, looked at 20 years worth of data that has been published in the past used all of this data to come up with some numbers that, again, have been very well publicized. They calculated a diagnostic error rate of about 5.7%. Of all of those cases, 2% led to any harm, 0.3% serious harm, and 0.2% deaths. While the AHRQ does recognize the fact that these rates are pretty similar to what we see in primary care and in hospital-based medicine, they spend a lot of time in the report kind of taking emergency medicine apart and saying that we are leading to about 250,000 patient deaths. Now, that's what's stated in the report, but what's actually in there? What does this actually mean? And is any of this data actually useful for us to draw any conclusions from? The first thing I'll say right off the bat is that a 99.7% success rate in catching any kind of a dangerous diagnosis is pretty good which is what the AHRQ says. It says we have a 0.3% rate of misses that are leading to serious harm. I think that if we caught 99.7% of diagnoses, we should feel pretty good about that. But that's not actually what the data tells us. This data, much of it is derived from outside of the United States and then it's extrapolated to us. And that's hard to do, as many have pointed out, because the training in the United States is different than in some of the countries where they got this data from. For instance, a good amount of the data comes from Switzerland, where emergency medicine is not a recognized specialty. Even in some of the places where we are a recognized specialty outside of the U.S., 
we've only been a recognized specialty for 10 years or 15 years. And many of the physicians that are probably part of this data set are not emergency medicine trained. In this country, we've had emergency medicine training for a lot longer. And so that does make things a little bit different. But even if we accept the extrapolation that they've made and say, you know what, maybe our error rate is the same as these other places, the way that they even defined the word error is problematic. All of us in emergency care recognize, and I think many of the professional organizations in medicine recognize, that our job in emergency medicine as far as diagnosis is very different than what we see in things like primary care or subspecialty medicine. We receive undifferentiated patients that we've never met before, and in a short period of time, we are asked to assess and then take care of any life-threatening issues, risk stratify the patient for dangerous things, and then come up with a treatment and a disposition. Actually, in there, getting the final diagnosis isn't usually very important. Yes, if the patient has something life-threatening like an aortic dissection or a stroke, our diagnostic rate does matter. But most of the things that we see, we miss because we're not going to make a final diagnosis. That's not what we do in emergency medicine. And this report really doesn't understand that, which isn't surprising given that the people who wrote this report and put it together aren't emergency clinicians. They don't understand what it is that we do in the emergency department. Going a little bit further, even beyond that, they do say again that the diagnostic error rate is comparable to what you see in primary care and in hospital inpatient care. These are all under-resourced, overwhelmed settings. It's not surprising that there's going to be some diagnostic error amongst those groups because we share that in common, under-resourced, overwhelmed settings. What it may also point to is the fact that humans are fallible and that error rate that we see might be unavoidable. Unavoidable because we can't be perfect, but beyond that, unavoidable because the amount of workup that we would have to do to catch all of those quote-unquote diagnostic errors would require us to test everybody excessively. And that's another one of the simple nuances that this report doesn't really recognize. In order to quote-unquote catch all of the diagnoses, the only way we could do that is by really bankrupting the healthcare system resulting in massive overdiagnosis by overtesting, and that would harm the patients. We recognize in emergency medicine that there's a certain amount of diagnostic misses that we have to accept that is part of what we do, because if we try to catch all of them, we will spend way too much money, we will do way too much testing, and we will harm patients. For many of the serious diagnoses, that threshold is somewhere around 1% to 2%. If we try to get that miss rate below 1% to 2%, we're likely going to cause more harm than we're going to cause benefit. In some areas, that number is a little bit clearer. There's good research showing us what that number is. In some areas, it's a little bit less clear. But the bottom line is we can't possibly try to catch everything because in doing so, we will overwork up patients. We will spend way too much money and time and resources, and we will bring harm to patients. And if I may jump in here and emphasize that point, this is what is completely missed and misunderstood by the world outside of medicine. This is not a zero-sum game. When somebody comes in with a sore throat, it's probably a virus, and sometimes it's a bacteria, and in one in a million, it's the presentation of, I don't know, some bizarre cancer. If you miss the bizarre cancer, what happens is that it's the, you know, frontline news, I presented with a sore throat and my doctor missed cancer. Yeah, of course they did, because it was undiagnosable. So we're supposed to CT scan everybody that comes in with a sore throat. It's a ridiculous premise. But as Swami is saying, we need to call out that ridiculous premise because it is clickbait, but people do not understand the basic concept of 
an acceptable misread. Because if the acceptable misread is zero, the other side of that coin is a ridiculous amount of money, expense, radiation, death, many more lives hurt than helped. This is the message we need to focus on, not just being angry about this report, but by re-educating people to understand. Uh, when you get up in the morning, there's a good chance that you could die from something catastrophic. That doesn't mean you shouldn't get up in the morning. The lay press articles, as well as the AHRQ report, point out many times that when patients present atypically, we're more likely to misdiagnose them or not catch the diagnosis. Everybody in emergency medicine, every clinician knows this. If patients present atypically, it's hard to know what it is that's going on. If a patient comes in with crushing chest pain radiating to the left arm with nausea and shortness of breath, pretty sure I'm going to catch that one and work them up for ACS or for a STEMI. But if they have generalized weakness, yeah, I might miss that ACS. If the patient's only complaint for stroke is dizziness, it might be hard to catch that diagnosis. Those are difficult presentations to catch. And as a result, unless we overwork up everybody, going back to the last point, we're going to miss some of these. Now, none of this, of course, is to say that we're perfect, that we can't learn from this data set that we see. One of the things that the data points out is that women and minorities are more likely to be misdiagnosed. The reasons for this are multifactorial, and that should be a challenge for us to push for improvement. We have to recognize that our cognitive biases might be pushing us to miss some of those diagnoses. It means that we should recognize those biases, we should try to address those biases, and of course, we can try to do better. And this also should be a prompt for us to maybe teach differently. So teach our residents about atypical presentations that most patients or a lot of patients are not going to present with crushing chest pain radiating to the left arm with nausea and shortness of breath when they have ACS. To recognize that older patients are more likely to come in with generalized weakness. But also to educate them that we do a worse job in picking up these critical diagnoses in women and minorities and that going into the room with that in mind can help us to catch more of those diagnoses. This means that from med school all the way up, education shouldn't be limited to classic presentations, that issues of equity should be a core principle of training, and that implicit bias training, while it might not fix everything, is important, but we also need to have system-level changes that help us to make more of these diagnoses. This report fails to recognize the environment that we work in, not just now, but that we have been working in for years, where we are overcrowded, we are under-resourced, we don't have enough nurses, we don't have enough doctors, and what we're seeing is the trend towards less and less and less, especially with the corporatization of medicine. If we want to try to eliminate some of these misdiagnoses, if we think that that is possible to do, we're going to have to have more resources brought to the table. Instead of giving unfunded mandate after unfunded mandate, give us support to do the things that we think are important to be done. Any report, whether it be this one or another one, looking at diagnostic errors in emergency medicine, should be focused on demanding better resources for hospitals and clinicians, instead of the way that many for-profit organizations are working tirelessly to do, which is to strip down and increase profits. The clickbaity news articles that you see on New York Times and on CNN and all of these other outlets is really lazy reporting. The headlines lack any kind of nuance, and all that they serve to do is undermine the public trust and demoralize clinicians. We have to recognize that humans, even doctors, are fallible. Misses are inevitable. And again, if we strive to lower the miss rate to zero, we will do more harm than good. So I think uh, Swami summarized it nicely. And now, Scott Kobner, with a little bit of uh, what's next. So where do we go from here? 
I don't want to just sit frustrated about a report that I can't change. I want to take actionable steps to improve care in a way that I think is really meaningful. The first place that I'm going to do it is at the bedside. And I'm going to take all this frustration that I have about this report and really channel it into those few extra minutes with every patient explaining my reasoning, explaining the emergency medical care process to them, and trying to be the best doctor that I can be. Sometimes it's really challenging, even on our best days as doctors, nurses, PAs, NPs, when we care for patients, to take a second and really explain why we didn't figure out why your belly hurts, but we know it's not a life-threatening thing. I think now it's more important than ever to take that extra two minutes, especially when your patient might you know, have read this New York Times article or the CNN piece or listened to some podcast, and they might be weary of the very sound medical decision-making that you're presenting them with. The second level of advocacy that we should do is, I think, at our community. You know, we should continue to advocate for the resources that we need. If you're working in a community hospital and this report comes up at some board or administrative meeting about how can we improve our own diagnostic accuracy, rather than retaliating against an unfair publication, you could use it as a platform to advocate for the things that we know actually make a difference for patients, for ongoing education, for ongoing multidisciplinary initiatives focused on improving patient outcomes that we actually care about. It can change the conversation into something productive. And then finally, as a specialty, where do we go from here? I think that this report shows that we need to continue advocating for patients who can't advocate for themselves, the ones on the worst day of their life at the highest level and in all forms, to continue to be involved in shaping federal policy, to take ownership of our specialty, and to make sure that when research like this is conducted, that emergency physicians are better represented and have a voice in this conversation, to use this as a learning opportunity. Even if we think that the basis for it seems a little unfounded, we still have the chance to turn a negative thing into a positive one. Excellent summaries. Let me just say again, you're doing a phenomenal job. You're doing an incredible job. Undifferentiated patients, no nurses, boarding times, disaster. What an incredible job you're doing. That's the spin that we need to give people. And we need to have the discussion about how we make it better. We can all get better. How do we make the training better? How do we make the situation in the emergency department better? How do we keep the nurses and the doctors doing such a great job and taking it to the next level? Let's put that spin on it. We have been given an opportunity here. The door is wide open for this discussion. Let's jump in, not with anger, but with education. Let's reorient people as to what is happening in our emergency departments and why it is so important that we do this right and not just say, you should make the right diagnosis every time. Good luck with that. That's bullshit.